Only moments ago, New York has come under attack. Witnesses claim to have seen hundreds of UFOs. It's opening fire! these guys anyway nazis from the moon invasion y'all must be tripping welcome to episode 30 we're three-fourths in i know of the whole first strike invasion podcast project i'm siskoid i'm bass we cover every issue and every tie-in issue of that 1988 dc comics crossover and on this show the tie-in is suicide squad number 23 a tie-in, despite not having any kind of invasion banner. What? And yet, it is very invasion-relevant. It feels like a big chapter of the invasion. It's not a side story. A lot of it takes place during Invasion Number 2. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... I'm sur- it's a mistake. I think so. If I'm not wrong, I think there are like three comics that should have had the invasion banner and don't but we're still covering them i think they just forgot to put the banner on Mm because there's this one room there's one place there that could be the banner yeah there's like a natural triangle there yeah it's like it's supposed to be there but nobody put it there and this is the 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 only suicide squad issue that we get to cover because uh, there was no first strike tie-in either We'll get a chance to talk about Suicide Squad in general uh, in the second part of the show. But in the second part, we're going to just cover the issue itself. It's called Weird War Tales by writers Jonah Strander and Kim Yale, uh, penciler Luke McDonald with inker Carl Kiesel. I really love this art team. Letterer Todd Klein, colorist Carol Gafford, and edited by Robert Greenberger. The cover is by McDonald and Kiesel and features three squad members. We've got Bronze Tiger, Duchess, and Vixen fighting these robot machines from uh, Return of the Jedi. I was gonna, I was about to say at-ats, but uh, they're, they're not. They're the half-ats, the half-ats. The ATSTs. The ATST, really. And they're firing some kind of hot pink energy that, that kind of bothers me. It's too busy a cover. There's a lot of stuff. Even with the banner mercifully removed, it's not the best cover. Too many things going on. There's crossfire, there's bronze tiger, there's jumping, there's shooting, there's fire, there's smoke. And you can tell from the background that we're in Moscow, that's those minarets, that's Red Square. So. Do uh, If you ever bought a like a nice burger, you know what, everything on it, okay. and just dropped it on the floor, this is what it looks like. <laughs> Everything's in there. I think there's a sink. I think I can find a sink in there. And yet it's only a small part of the issue because the the comic actually serves many more stories. It's very full. Oh my god, does it ever. I should get into the synopsis, so that should give you a taste. So the issue starts with Amanda Waller in her car, driving back to Belrave, having conversations with the people who are making her life hell, or rather mental projections of them, just catching us up on what was happening in the book prior to Invasion. So let's move on from there. At Belrave, and that's how you spell and say it. It's not the Bel Reeve that they've been using of late. Uh, that's just a little French lesson there. It means beautiful dream. It's Cajun. It would be Belrave. And it's really Cajun or Creole because uh, in standard French you would say Beaurave because, of course, dream is masculine. That's it's weird both. for English-speaking people. Yes. I don't really mind Belrave that much because Rev kind of... But it's not the same thing. So Belrave works for Louisiana... Bell Reeve is just nonsense. Anyway, at Bell Reeve, Bronze Tiger is being debriefed. We're told about his mission to Moscow with Vixen, who he has the hots for, and Duchess, the female fury formerly known as Lashina. As Vixen rips Thanagar's flying troops with animal powers, 
Duchess jumps into the fray on the ground with her big gun, taking out one of those walking tanks, the, the half-hats, down and inspiring Russian soldiers to advance. They get pinned down by superior firepower, but the Rocket Red Brigade arrives to save their asses, except no, they get shot out of the sky or routed. Duchess charges the artillery and the gun fire stops. Bronsteiger, see, sneaked round the back and took care of the one Okar and soldier manning the batteries. They realize all this damage was done by pretty much two guys and there's a whole army of them out there. Bronsteiger glosses over the rest of the Moscow story, stuff we've seen in Firestorm and New Guardians. Short scene with support crew, Flo. Uh, fuming at her computer because Bronsteiger doesn't return her affections. Her computer suddenly talks to her. Hello, I am Oracle. Is anyone present? Well, this is a subplot that will have to wait for other Suicide Squad issues, uh, just not on this podcast. But let it be known that this is the first appearance of Oracle. Is it? It is. I was going to ask. It is. Elsewhere, the prison psychologists are reviewing the files of potential squad recruits, including Dr. Light, Punch and Julie, Count Vertigo, and Shrike. Uh, one of these psychologists wants to quit rather than continue supporting Waller's dangerous program. Uh, the nemesis visits Nightshade, who is recovering from injuries from an earlier mission. To cheer her up, he tells her about the rest of the squad's mission in Australia, namely that Captain Boomerang took the invasion of his home country very personally and was extremely effective against the Kund occupying force. After the action, he gave his compatriots a tour of Sydney, but while on a cruising yacht in the bay, was thrown overboard by an unimpressed, Boomerbutt would say ungrateful, Australian, who'd felt he'd uh, given Australians a bad name for years. Cut back to Belrave, as Nemesis leaves Nightshade's quarters, ever the gentleman, he notices the gene bomb explode through a skylight. That happens just before he gets hit in the face by a polarized cream pie, as the mystery of the phantom pie thrower deepens. And that was a subplot that was going on at the time. So, Bass, <laughs> did you get lost? There's a lot of stuff happening with a lot of minor characters. Okay, I have never read a Suicide Squad comic book from this era. This era is incredible. But this right now is alien to me. I know some of these characters. I know Vixen. I know Bronze Tiger. I know Amanda Waller. I know Rick Flagg. I know these people. I know Deadshot. I don't know anything about their dynamics. So, when I read this, first thing I wrote down was Amanda Waller's PTSD. Because <laughs> okay. she's talking to people who aren't there, somehow traumatized by these people, to the point where she's hallucinating. So, to me, I'm going, is she going nuts? What's going on? I think she is. But you know what? Somewhere, it, it forced me to go to uh, Amanda Waller's perspective during the war, during the invasion. Because Amanda Waller basically has this task force X who's trained to, you know, die to protect humans. or And, and you know, her perspective, she's doing the right thing, right? Or, well, she's trying to figure... Mm -hmm. She's trying to convince herself she's doing the right thing in this conversation with herself. And uh, I think she might be overwhelmed with the power that's on Earth right now who basically beat the invasion maybe she's going okay this can't be done i can't be the force trying to control these forces that defended earth well she's really well you know and that first part i glossed over it because it was really part of just the suicide squad storyline in the previous issue uh, which was not a an invasion tie-in but rather the culmination of a storyline an ongoing storyline in which a senator and he wants to shut them down, and he's corrupt. He's uh, corrupt. And Rick Flagg wants to kill that senator to protect Task Force X, but uh, Amanda Waller orders Deadshot to not let that happen. So basically, that Rick Flagg must not kill this senator, 
or else everything will be destroyed. So Deadshot kills the senator himself. And he's like, mm, you told me not to let Rick Flagg do it. <laughs> so he's such an asshole. So everything is sort of up in the air for her and Task Force X. So that's sort of the reason why the, the Suicide Squad and Checkmate had to succeed under her leadership during the invasion. They had to prove themselves. Yeah, because she is part of Checkmate also. She has a lot on her plate. Well, it made me have sympathy for this woman. I'm not supposed to like her. She she embodies bad things. Well, that's Suicide Squad all over, because regardless of what you know about the Suicide Squad uh, in this era or any era, although this era is the best, the best, the very best, these are the good comics. I trust you, because you, you, your face saying these are the good ones. They so are, and this, these are definitely among the best comics to come out of the 1980s. I hope there's an omnibus of this coming out. Yeah, there, there's a series of trades, I think. That's how they're they're selling them now. Anyway, Amanda Waller, no, she's not likable. No. But the team is all villains and B-list, military-ish uh, anti-heroes. Yeah, at this point, yeah, they're B-list. Well, that's the whole point. The whole point was to take these almost laughable characters. And Deadshot, Deadshot was no one. He was like a Z-list Batman villain. Yeah. He'd been redesigned. That look, that cool look, was very recent. But he was no one. He was useless. And Captain Boomerang, laughing stock of the rogues gallery. Yeah, I know. Useless. And to turn those two characters specifically into characters you wanted to read about every month, they are not, technically speaking, likable characters. You don't want them in your life. And yet, you're rooting for them. Yeah. You want them to put something over uh, Rick Flag or Nemesis or whoever the, the hero is that's there to just make sure they do the job. They're there to make sure that the villains actually accomplish their suicide mission, and if they survive, the, you know, actually win their liberty. But guys like Captain Boomerang never earn that freedom. He's always trying to cheat the system, so Waller ends up telling him, no, no, you haven't paid your debt to society. And then a guy like Deadshot does earn it, but then doesn't leave the team because he has a death wish. He wants to die. He wants to go on suicide missions. Yeah. He doesn't like himself very much. No, he keeps surviving even though on various missions you might expect that someone dies. And nobody dies in the invasion that we know of. And that's perhaps my one regret. Because even though it flashes back inside the invasion... Because it flashes back a lot. Yeah. I mean, this is a, basically an episode of Family Guy. But we don't see that moment that we get in Invasion number two. So there's no way to identify the mystery villains that Todd McFarlane badly drew because the flashback takes place after the whole battle stuff and no one on the yacht has a mask. Yeah. And maybe we could have been told there was a death toll and somebody didn't make it out of there. Yeah. It just doesn't live up to the suicide title, not in this issue. And yes, it does jump around every year or so. Suicide Squad used to do something they called, like an issue called Personnel File. So instead of the mission, we're looking at subplots and talking to the ground crew and getting to know the characters. Okay. It sort of prepares us for the next phase. And, and there is an ad in this showing the 1989 uh, lineup. Yeah. So in that, we do get some of the characters referenced in the, the psychologist's report. A few surprises as well, because the team seems to have Captain Boomerang, Bronze Tiger, Duchess, and Vixen, who had been with the team already. And then Shade the Changing Man. And then some of the guys reference uh, Count Vertigo, Punch and Julie, Dr. Light, who didn't last long. And then Ravan, who was created for Suicide Squad or was a member of the Jihad. Uh, so they're teasing this new lineup. The Shrinks also mention Shrike, who appeared in one issue and was killed. <laughs> well, it is a Suicide Squad. Well, not knowing anything about the Suicide Squad, I had to kind of go, you know, try to find the themes 
Because there are similar themes going all around. Because there's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I seem to see this recurring theme of truth versus perceived truth. Okay. It's there within the, the Waller Reflections. Where she's dealing with what is perceived versus what is true. And she's also talking to people who aren't there, so it's what she's perceiving. Exactly. There's this thing where we see the O'Karens. You know, there's this huge battle, but there are only two people, you know, on the opposite side. And we perceive it as being, you know, this huge battle, but it's really just two people, you know, stopping a bunch of Rocket Reds and, you know, uh, as the New Guardians, the new New Guardians or whatever their horrible, horrible name is. Because I really don't like them. Yeah. There's nobody there I like. Then you're not going to like the next episode. Oh, <laughs> I mean, but you know what? Uh, in there, though, we did see some celebrations of uh, wonderful things. Uh, the O'Karens are, they don't seem as much as stooges because they kind of look like stooges. You know, they're the weapons things mm -hmm. and, you know, they're great warriors. We never saw it until okay. now yeah. where they're great battle prowess is about being able to control a lot of mechanical things and being very effective so it's basically a celebration of technology for warfare so that was kind of cool and uh i mean vixen vixen in this she takes out a bunch of thanagarians that made me one happy because thanagarians but yeah. also i mean i don't know if it's just in my head but I mean, the speed in which she uses her powers, I mean, jumps with, you know, the agility of this, you know, thing. And then she becomes like a, an elephant while she's jumping. So she has this mass all of a sudden and she just, I mean, she's a lister if I ever saw one. Well, she's a Justice Leaguer and it wasn't just Justice League Detroit. She was in the team later. Honestly, I know she's in Legends of Tomorrow. She should be in the movie. It's actually her grandmother. Yeah, yeah, true. But she could be in the Justice League movie. I mean, the effects on this superpowered woman would be... Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and there's a strange moment there uh, on page 9 when Duchess makes a comment. Maybe that Vixen is uh, useful after all or something. Yeah, yeah. But they'd both been on the team for like a year. I didn't know who Duchess was, but I, I did think she was an asshole. I was like, what? what? Who's this lady? What? Why? She's there with a big gun. And she's, you know, yeah, yeah, she's okay. Who the hell is she? But yeah. she, I mean, she's a female fury. Yeah, she was abandoned by her team on Earth back in issue three. And then some months later, she decided to join the squad. And she's been slumming it with them ever since. The one thing I did notice, too, is that Bronze Tiger does absolutely nothing except keep her his head down. So uh, props what? up to the ladies there. You know, they're the real armored division if you will and uh he's just a martial artist right he takes down the okay he he ninjas himself yeah. because there's this weird bit where in one panel he's there and the next panel is exactly the same but he's gone exactly and then you don't see him for a while and you're distracted by the girls going at it and by the time you catch up to him duchess is in the artillery fox pole and uh, he's already there, and he's ninja the whole thing. Yeah, he ninja the thing, and, and that's fine. All three of them actually do something useful. They're a great team, Mike. Yeah, it's a nice little trio. It's too bad we don't see the other team, the Australian front team, do uh, anything. It's just a comic beat for uh, Captain Boomerang. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's the other thing. But uh, what did kind of resonate with me was uh, there's this one scene where we have... What are their names? Uh, Marnie and uh, Dr. Lagreen and... Uh, they're talking about who will be the next Suicide Squad, basically. And Marine, she's like, all right, we're, we're just grabbing anybody with like a mental issue that could be exploited. And I'm not down with this. 
we should not be exploiting people with mental we should be helping people with mental issues and dr uh lagreen or i would say in french lagreen uh <laughs> you know what don't question this this uh waller wants this and she should have what she wants stop being all he's played by sean connery apparently uh, yeah <laughs> but he's being you know he's supposed to be this doctor he, he's referred to as a doc and yeah. he's really just helping waller or task force x or whatever to exploit people with you know that should be helped well the whole scheme is get your freedom by participating in suicide missions you may not come back and if you do you're out on the streets and not reformed, so superheroes have to capture you again, probably. Yeah, but it, once again, this is one one of those battles inside this one issue. We, I mean, it's a, another battle of right versus wrong and, and truth versus perceived truth, which is not truth. I mean, truth is universal. Truth applies to everything. And that play on perception happens again in the Captain Boomerang story, because he perceives himself as the liberator of Australia, but Australians are going, nah, dog. And they see him as a stereotype. You know, the, the guy even says, I thought you were an American putting on an Australian accent. Exactly. He, his accent is too thick. And uh, it's all through the book. I just did that because I didn't know anything about the book. And even with the bomb, at the end, mm -hmm. the bomb goes off. We have this flash of, you know, the, the, the reverse negative thing. And at the same time, we have a pie in the face. So this horrible thing happens. In the same time, there's a joke. So that I was like, yeah, well, I guess I'm not too far off. There's this thing. And I was really surprised with the Oracle. I was going to ask. I didn't know. Is that the true that Oracle? Is, the... is that Barbara? That's Barbara Gordon. Although we don't know that. We don't know. It's just text on a screen. But this is the, the, the first reference to Oracle and the first appearance of that character in a way. Oh my, this is a this is it. It's so and, exciting. And from this point, she's going to start working with the squad and run some operatives. At this point, do the people who created Oracle know who Oracle is? Yes, I think so. Did they? Or did they just like, was the actual lost? Or were they just doing it? <laughs> Improvising? No, I don't think so. Not from what I know. If that was how it's planted. If anyone knows the behind the scenes of this, but I think we do find out relatively soon. Because, yeah, I mean, we all like Bad Girl, but I think we see the true colors of Barbara Gordon. I think Oracle is the better iteration of the character. Uh, well, because it, it brings out the best of Barbara. Mm -hmm. I mean, it brings out resourcefulness, resilience. I like Bad Girl. Oh, yeah, me too. I love her. Bad Girl having become Oracle is the stronger story arc. As for the pie throwing, I don't know if I should spoil it. I, I think I know who it is because there's an advertisement for who's going to be in the Suicide Squad. So you're thinking it's Punch? I'm, I'm thinking it's Punch. It's not. <laughs> um, I mean, this is a very silly subplot, the pie throwing. Okay. Who's strong pies? Well, this is from 89. There, there's no spoiler okay. after 20 years. A 20-year-old spoiler is a you-should-have-known-this type thing. So skip ahead a minute if you don't want to know. If you don't know, you shouldn't know. But You're going to know now. Because there's this red herring. At some point, Captain Boomerang gets hit in the face, so it can't be him. Okay. And yet he is a thrower. Yeah. Well, what does he throw? Boomerangs. So, obviously he can throw a pie in his own face. <laughs> and it was him. But... <laughs> So, so it, like is it is it boomerang? Weird. Yeah, so it's a very weird <laughs> shenanigan. But <laughs> well, how can boomerang on. be in us? Is everybody in us? No, they've all come back because uh, you know the Nemesis is, was there, and he, now he's talking to Nightshade. Yeah, you know, there's a point where uh, Waller gets hit in the face with a pie. Yeah, there's that moment. <laughs> oh, I would have enjoyed that. It's great. Uh, there's one last thing I want to say about the issue. It's about the title. Yeah. It's called Weird War Tales, which, of course, was the title of a war comic that DC published for a good long while. And it gave us strips such as a G.I. Robot, uh, Creature Commandos, and The War That Time Forgot. Well, technically it didn't give us them because they started in Star Spangled Stories or something, but still. 
they were published in Weird War Tales, and those are the Dinosaur Island stories. And it's relevant because the Silver Age Suicide Squad was just a bunch of army guys, a paramilitary force that at one point, in fact, did fight dinosaurs. Their adventures most famously pictured in Darwin Cook's New Frontier. They're the guys that um, you know get eaten by dinosaurs in that opening number. So th this is a strange war story in itself, but it relates back, the title relates back to the Silver Age. Oh. And we'll talk more about Suicide Squad history after this short break. Stick around. A secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X, and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall! We are back and we're talking about the Suicide Squad in the back half of this episode. So where does the Suicide Squad start? Well, there are those Silver Age stories, those war stories. But that's not the Suicide Squad we know today. Today we know it as a group of villains. Villains purposed by usually Amanda Waller to go on missions and win back their freedoms or whatever. And this started from our perspective, from Invasion's perspective, only two crossovers ago. In the Legends crossover, which acted as a sort of springboard for a couple of new series, including what would become Justice League International and the Suicide Squad. So the first Suicide Squad was assembled to fight Brimstone, okay. uh, that uh, monster from Apocalypse. And uh, it's pretty much the original Suicide Squad, except uh, they've got Blockbuster who gets killed. So the Suicide Squad lives up to its name. Oh, poor Blockbuster. He's, you know, a hairy Hulk. Yeah, so they killed Blockbuster, but they kept Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, or Rick Flagg, who was the kind of the hero controlling the group, making sure they do their job. And uh, at first there, uh, Enchantress. You've seen the movie. I have not seen the movie. Oh, you must delight in this movie. Seriously. What the hell's wrong with you people? But seriously, Suicide Squad is, to me, the pinnacle of superhero comics in the late 80s. It is a brilliant series. It is political it's funny it's surprising it's sort of a mission impossible so i love the mission impossible show so mission impossible with super villains that used to suck but have somehow been turned into characters that you uh, hate to love and love to hate <laughs> and because of the suicide element that you could die at any on any mission there's also that fear that that tension that is created because your favorite character might get it at any time so basically you're saying you that suicide squad in the comics was kind of the equivalent back then to a game of thrones type thing we we're always scared that somebody we like will get killed but more entertaining 
Oh, well. Yeah, superheroes and supervillains. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. I just love the John Estrander series. And around issue 40, they sort of rejigged it. And uh, maybe the art wasn't as strong or percussive. Uh, they put everybody in plain clothes, for example. Ah, they didn't. Ah, kind of like in the last issue with the uh, elite, the something elite, power uh, elite. Well, it's more like spy missions. So Deadshot would be in plain clothes. Ah, okay. Because maybe at this point, they're undercover. As supervillains. You can send them into stuff. And if the news reports it, well, it's just supervillains doing stuff. As always, should you or any member of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Yeah, I thought it was a little less colorful. Uh, my first issue was issue four. Very much a Mission Impossible mission. A mission unto itself to find it. I found it just in a, There was just like this one little store somewhere that I didn't go to all the time that had it. You'd walk into this convenience store, and the comics were, like, behind a supporting beam, really hidden. The story was just a one-shot little mission against a white supremacist, uh, and it was amazing. That speaks a lot. When supervillains don't like white supremacists... Well, you still had Captain Boomerang, who sort of agreed with him, because he's the one true, pure asshole of the group. Because the idea is Dirty Dozen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. some of these guys are irredeemable. Yeah. And that remains my favorite iteration of the team. I I don't think any other version of Suicide Squad was ever as good. There's a Keith Giffen written one that I haven't read. Well, we kind of like Keith Giffen because, you know, he was funny and while writing all the JLA, well, not JLA, JLI stuff and Invasion. I'll probably try to read it at some point, but uh, like the new 52 version, that just doesn't work for me. And I'll tell you why it doesn't work for me. I was going to ask. Have I been speaking too long? <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of interested because I don't, I know nothing of Suicide Squad. So I just kind of went into interviewer mode. Well, the thing that works with the original Suicide Squad concept is that it repurposes a lot of shitty supervillains and heroes or antiheroes. What it does is take characters that nobody cares about and then puts them in situations where, well... Nobody cares about these guys, so they might die any minute. You believe it. And in the process, somehow make us care about them. Probably just made them shine a little bit. But that only works if you have a living history to your universe. So, like, who do they have in the New 52? Let's let's take uh, El Diablo. So, I don't care if El Diablo or that version of El Diablo dies. Because he has no history. Even Harley Quinn in the New 52 starts out already in the Suicide Squad. She has no real history. You need to have this preface. Sure, they can tell us that these guys have apparently faced heroes, but we haven't seen it. We are not invested. And there's no element of, oh, crap, they brought back Kite Man. Basically, what you're saying is you can't have a new characters or a, a character without history Suicide Squad. They have to have history for it to be... Uh, worth anything within the Suicide Squad for, for us to have that feeling of hopefully not seeing him die, but we could see him die. Or yet, you want to see them die because you consider them morts. Well, then in, in the movie... Movie doesn't work. Well, movie kind of works, but only for like Killer Croc? Because I wouldn't want to see Killer Croc die. But that's because you remember Killer Croc from other appearances, other versions. But this Killer Croc doesn't exist before the movie. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So, now, if we'd seen these guys get captured by the, you know, heroes in other movies, in previous movies. So you could maybe you could do this with a long-running franchise like uh, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So this Suicide Squad would have, let's say nobody dies in any of the movies or just captured. This squad would have crossbones. Claw. Would have uh, the Iron Monger, would have uh, 
uh, Whiplash. Yeah, we know them. They fought our heroes. Maybe they were cool. Maybe they were lame. Whatever. Now they're in prison, and then an Amanda Waller type character breaks them out, and this is a this is a blow to the heroes who captured them in the first place because those guys are back out on the streets now. That could be one of the things that just doesn't work with the movie. Not, not I mean, the movie has yeah. If you're just analyzing the premise of the movie or any reboot of the Suicide Squad, and you don't have that deep universe to go to, uh, then stuff is meaningless, like uh, the, the Slipknot thing. That happens in the movie, also happens in the comics, uh, in the Millennium crossover. Not that I've seen the movie, but I know what happens. Movie's probably better in your head anyways. Comics fans probably enjoyed that Slipknot got killed or at least maimed because he is a true mort. This is a guy that was, he just chokes people out with ropes and he's somehow a Firestorm villain. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Firestorm villains were uh, pretty keen on getting into the Suicide Squad because they were written by the same guy. So because I know the history, I will be thinking, yes... Uh, Slipknot deserves his death, deserves his maiming. Uh, good on you, Captain Boomerang, who here is the badass that I hate to love. Yeah, well, that kind of translates somewhat in the movie, but we don't have all that backstory. And once again, you didn't see the movie, so mm-hmm. we're kind of... I think we're... <laughs> I don't really care, so Not exactly, ahead. but uh, there are no real spoilers here. Right? If You want me to spoil this. In the, the movie, we kind of see these backstories as little vignettes at the beginning of the story. Where they say, well, where did you get these people? Mm-hmm. And then we see the backstories of everybody. But these backstories should have been within the movies. So Suicide Squad is like five movies too early, basically. Mm-hmm. We should have seen like a, the beginning of a Batman movie or a Joker movie or whatever movie where Batman catches Deadshot. So at least we see him. And you only need to do that in the prologue. I mean, they're doing stuff like that anyway. If you're going to have Wonder Woman sliding around uh, at the beginning of Justice League. Might uh, as well put a real supervillain. Yeah, might as well put a real supervillain in there. Might as well do it the, the old James Bond way. You know how we always finish a mission before starting the new one? Right. Do it the old James Bond way. You know, you have Kite Man, you know, doing a ruckus, being a kite guy. And Superman takes him down, uh, Batman takes him down, or better yet, maybe Nightwing. And, uh, you know, and and then he ends up in the Suicide Squad. By then it's a surprise, and you're bringing back an actor. and Exactly. So the DCEU has done this all over the place, just, you know, basically taking a shortcut. And when you take those shortcuts, I'm just not invested. So I'm thinking, uh, this is a new version of the character, and they're already in jail. How can they already be in jail? They haven't even had their first story told yet. And if they die in that, like, say, that first issue of a rebooted Suicide Squad, um, so what? Just to prove the concept? You don't care. You didn't even meet them. So long story short, uh, you know, never mind all the the stuff that sort of breaks what was interesting about the original squad, like making Amanda Waller a a pretty young thing. The premise in a brand new universe just has no legs. I hear you. So really, since the, the 2000s, the better... Suicide Squad has been the Secret Six. I was going to say. So the concept isn't that somebody's going to die or whatever, but it's still these obscure villains. They're like a self-appointed Suicide Squad. Yeah, they're taking contracts, and so they're, they're working for themselves. And the character they have in common is Deadshot. Yeah. So in a way, it does feel like a continuation. Yeah, he always has that death wish, and he's always an asshole. And But that's still not a team that lives under the threat of death or that is adding characters all the time so that they can be possibly bumped off. Uh, You don't get a story like they did in Suicide Squad where they add the penguin and you're thinking, holy crap, are they actually going to kill the penguin? Uh, Spoiler, he survives. But um, yeah, if you're going to kill a villain, 
this is a better way of doing it, giving them an arc, maybe letting them stay on the team for a couple of years before it actually happens. But it's a better way to go out than what, you know, crossovers are usually used for and just uh, ripping arms off in the background of a panel somewhere. The, the worst way to die for a villain is to have the hero kill him. I just hate that. Heroes aren't supposed to kill people. It's just me. I know. Everybody likes the Punisher and everybody likes my Anyway, rant over. That's just my opinion. You may uh, think differently. Yeah. Well, if you do, you can share on the fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yeah. In fact, our next segment will be uh, looking at your feedback from the previous episode, which was about Starman number six and Green Lantern in general. So uh, stick around for that. It's Letters from the Front. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfelstaffner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? I uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. DC events, as in the comic books. DC events. Yes, yes, the comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very... Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So, maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What? What, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. <laughs> awesome. I don't think I can claim you on benefits. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. Letters from the front. Letters from the front! <laughs> Taking you through your comments on episode 29 uh, on Starman number 6 and Green Lantern, who was the guest star on that book. Mm -hmm. uh, let's look at the website, firewaterpodcast.com. Uh, Ted Kilvington starts us off with great episode, fellas. Oh, thank you. Uh, regarding the absence of a Green Lantern title at that time, the official story by DC was that they wanted one of the big five to appear exclusively in Action Comics Weekly. That always seemed fishy to me as it would have been much less disruptive to put Flash in Action Comics Weekly and leave Green Lantern core untouched. Reason? Moving Flash from his own series to ACW wouldn't have required changing the series concept. Going from a 22-page-a-month Green Lantern Corps series to an 8-page-a-week Hal Jordan solo feature was a drastic change of series concept. But I'm sure you wouldn't have wanted Flash to be... No, I wouldn't have wanted. But it was uh, this was uh, early Whiny Wally years. Well, so it maybe. Probably, probably wouldn't... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I think they did different stories with that. When yeah. you've only got eight pages weekly, like I, I don't know anything that happens in that Green Lantern 
strip. Yeah. It's not... it's basically a strip. It's basically just, yeah, that you know, point. it's a serial. It's a, you know. You know, you can't do as much. You've got to, mm. to push for a cliffhanger or, I don't know. Uh, so, in any case, Action Comics Weekly did not come to the newsstand where I lived. So, I'm thinking maybe it was like a direct market only or yeah, some stores was. didn't want to have it because it was like a weekly risk. Yeah. But uh, that would have meant whatever character fell off my radar. In this case, Al Jordan, I guess. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Santarin says, for the Sydney Opera House, they represent both sails and shells. Oh, as designed by Danish architect Jorn Utzen. So somebody checked Wikipedia? Basically. Okay. Or it, it seemed like a person that knew the information beforehand. Because we're not checking <laughs> anything when we're talking. We're just Well, you're just saying, you know, you're you shooting know. the... And you're not... We're not doing the research You're not well. stopping to check on something you didn't expect to be talking about. Exactly. Um, let me see. Who else? Uh, David is Gutierrez has some thoughts. Uh, first, never really glommed to this version of Starman. Will Payton. In fact, I'd hope that Robinson's run with his version would have skipped over Payton. But what can you do? So I guess Will Payton is kind of the... Uh, forgotten Starman. Forgotten Starman or the, I don't know, Black Sheep Well, there's a the lot Starman. of Black Sheep Starmen because... Um, They're basically all... You know, like the Blue Alien and yeah. the, the alien dressed in red as drawn by Steve Ditko? Yeah. Like, those guys show up in the Jack Knight series. Yeah. Just to get the whole legacy. Yeah. But, I mean, those are really forgotten one-shot kind of heroes. I guess Starman is one of those characters where, you know, Jack is such a different Starman from his dad mm -hmm. and his brother. Well, Starman is a sort of a weird legacy character because usually you'd have your ancestor in the Golden Age and then, like, say, Flash. Flash is a Golden Age one, there's a Silver Age one, and then yeah. there's a Modern Age one. So they're all related and they knew each other. Uh, but with the Starman, it's like Golden Age... And then the Starman one and a half, the, the son that died, yeah. that we never knew really about. No, we only saw him and in then, the chat. Uh, and then this, like, couple of alien guys, and then Will Payton, and then unrelated. Yeah. And then Jack Knight takes the mantle again, after a long, long gap, where it's just, like, people with no relationship to Starman except the name. So I get it, but um, uh, it was still a pretty good superhero series yeah, yeah. of the time. I kind of got to like uh, Will Payton, just reading from this mm -hmm. and from the Justice League from that time also. Oh, yeah, yeah. and So I kind of I dig him now. Uh, he says on Green Lantern, never ever got the appeal of Hal Jordan. This was a, the all oh, wow. David Ace doesn't like uh, episode. Well, that's a bold <laughs> statement. As I've mentioned often to my best friend, you know him as Rob Kelly, Hal Jordan is exactly the character who would have mocked his fans for reading comics. He's the guy who makes out with the girl you're in love with while locking eyes with you. Total douche bro. Okay. Uh, as for pilots, you need to be pretty smart to be a pilot. Lots of calculus and physics involved. Also, being a pilot in the 60s when Hal was created was a pretty amazing gig. Kyle Rayner is the best Lantern. He's my GL. I didn't grow up with him, but he was the best. I could be recalling this incorrectly, but I seem to remember an edict that Kyle couldn't create any ring construct more than once. Every construct was unique. He says an edict as if it was like an editorial mandate. Yeah, yeah. You can't do the scissors twice. Yeah, well, that would be a nice way to prevent just beams mm. all the time. Uh, and as for the color wheel lanterns, yawn. <laughs> Aw, come on. Michael Bailey says in regards to giving John's credit for the death of Hal's dad, that was actually something established in Emerald Dawn. Uh, it seems like a John's move, but it was Giffen and Owsley. Fair enough. It's very John, so John's had to repeat it, <laughs> extend it. Uh, Aaron Head Moss says uh, of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, he says regarding the Power Elite, 
If I understand Melrose properly, the man who created the group, if the satellite hadn't malfunctioned, each member would have had Starman-level powers, so the name Power Elite would have fit them. But I agree that it's kind of surprising for Mel that for Melrose, wanting that to be their public outing, I'm surprised that he didn't have uniforms or costumes made for them. Well, you don't get the full powers, you don't get the, the uniforms. <laughs> I think they were disposable villains. That's that's. I mean, I get it. You, you create them, but they don't look like a unit. They don't look like they have anything in common. They don't even look like they like each other. So I, yeah, I don't that's know. That's true. Uh, Chris Franklin says Will Payton's family ties will play huge roles in James Robertson's Starman later in the series. This is the bit that David wished he was skipped over. Uh, my favorite GL is Alan Scott. I really liked how Roy Thomas and then Robinson, Goyer, and Johns made him the big gun of the JSA, especially in the Earth 2 Superman's absence. We didn't talk much about Alan Scott because it was, he wasn't well, a core member. Yeah, we exactly. Just core ones. He's not he's not uh, directly linked to the Green Lantern Corps like like the others. I mean, mm -hmm. his his powers don't come from Oa or the main battery. Well, does it? Well, did they retcon that? Yeah. Oh, okay. The, so. the the meteor that fell to Earth, that green meteor that the lantern was fashioned was it, out of, was a part of. Uh... Was it was something that was ejected when the the Guardians took over. When did this happen? At the beginning time. No, 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 no. When did this retcon happen? Uh, I think by Secret Origins it was that way. Oh, so really? I don't know if Secret Origins retconned it or if it was already retconned. Is that when Alan Scott got young again? No, no, no. Secret Origins. It's like just just Roy Thomas why, doing why the origin story. Why haven't I ever heard of this? Why? why what, what I don't this? know. I should be known. It's, the Guardians expelled the magic out of their sphere. They wanted oh, to be. That's, okay, so there's that's this, a Guardian move. Th there's this magic yeah. meteor that falls to Earth. They craft the lantern out of it, and it flashes three times. And the last time it flashes, it gives great power. Okay. Um, to Alan Scott. Because I, I love Alan Scott. I, I always... But there's a link. There was, okay. They eventually created a link. I don't know if it's from before, because Roy Thomas usually was very faithful to the original. Okay. Probably at the time, Earth 2 still existed, so they went like, we expelled the magic out of Oa and shunted it into... Another dimension. Another dimension, which another happens dimension. to be Earth 2. Another dimension. I guess I got learned. I think so. Anyways, I'll, uh, you know, again, somebody's going to tell. I'm not us. checking because we're just we didn't know we yeah, were going to say I this. Didn't, I didn't know this. I, I mean, I read everything from when they they basically rekindled the JSA in the 90s and early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Never had mention of this. Then we have Paul Hicks in Australia. Says uh, of the Opera House, you should know. Uh, most of the sales have separate concert halls within. Oh, so that's actually each one has its own acoustic. Thing, right yeah uh he says i once saw grant morrison live on stage there really also len ween in one of the smaller halls super excited for your coverage of suicide squad in one of the stealthier crossover issues well you just heard it tell us what you think uh brian linton then says when i first saw the images of the power elite in their bus i thought it was a prison bus the resemblance to their jumpsuits to u.s prison uniforms has me convinced that they were subconsciously setting themselves up for failure from the start <laughs> it sounds about right yeah shortcut the Right straight to jail. Uh, Tim Price says, Oh, those wacky power elite uniforms. More like janitor's elite. Maybe army surplus elite? I also enjoyed the growing member, Samantha. She could become smaller and look like a little girl in Starman number four. That happens. Or get huge and strong, an expansion of Starman's face-changing power. I appreciated them giving her a bodybuilder's physique in that form. That was still not done very much in comics at the time. Women could be muscular, but not bulky. It gave her a great look. Facebook likes and shares. Abel Padilla. Anthony Madge. Chris Franklin. Corey Hodgden. David Foster. Derek William Crabb. Douglas Meacham. 
Jay Jones, Jimmy McGlinchey, Keith G. Baker, Max Romero, Michael Bailey, Pat Sampson, Robert Ward, Ryan Daly, Shag Matthews, and the Silver and Gold Podcast. Over on Google+, Plus, we got plussed by the Hammer Strikes. And on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Cashflag, Chris, Chris Lewis, Coffee and Comics, Earth 2 Chris, Ed Moore, who wondered if, if that was a Star Frontiers reference uh, he heard associated with Salak, because he played that as well, Fond Memories. Uh, the role-playing game we had that kind of looked, felt like Star Frontiers, maybe? Okay. But we, it was like a homebrew, total homebrew, uh, created by my friend Rob Tam, who, as a game master, always proceeds to kill off your... Uh, supporting cast so <laughs> the game never lasts very long because everybody's frustrated hi rob <laughs> then uh, fan holes podcast i am uh, grant richter jorge salvador hirado justices first dawn justice trek the podcast kaiser leo kg baker Kristen clark longbox crusade max romero of its plastic man oh hi doggy rob kelly creative of film and water podcast treasury comics superman movie minute uh, a host of sad spot dylan and digest cast and soon mash cast but it was too soon to, to retweet using that account Roll Spine Podcast, Ted Kildington, Tim Price, Ward Hill Terry, who kept thinking you were saying hosers when you were actually saying posers. Bob and Doug McKenzie. Yeah, uh, we're Canadian, eh? Nobody talks like I don't know. People out west, do they talk? I don't know. Is that a real I don't accent? know what it's about. I don't know. I don't know what... <laughs> I got my toque, and I don't know what it's about. Yeah, I think the guys were doing Moranis, and you know they were yeah. do, they were doing an extreme accent from like North Alberta yeah. or North yeah. Ontario or something. Yeah, if you want to, uh, the uh, Eastern accent is a lot more like the uh, Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, they're from... if if that's something you you, oh, yeah. you have in your markets, you you should. You should, and you should watch it. Yeah, because that's in Halifax. Or yeah, yeah, it's in Halifax. So uh, that's closer to what the uh, Anglos speak here. Yeah. Obviously, we have a French-Canadian accent from our region. Yeah. Uh, but then you also have, uh, if you go like like further east, Newfoundland is close. To, there's an Irish Yeah, tinge. there's an Irish. Yeah. Yeah, very much. And uh, Willie Yarbrough and Zoom Yukonori. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. As ever, if you want to comment or plus or tweet or... You can do so. Firingwaterpodcast.com is the website. Uh, Network also has a Facebook page. And on Twitter, it's hashtag podcast. And, of course, you can always come to the website where all the conversations and everything, everybody's talking there. So, everybody talks. Everybody talks. It started with a whisper And now it's in our You're just doing songs. <laughs> I just, I'm just doing songs. <laughs>